We are never more aware of our bodies, would you agree, than when we are sick. If you've had a cold or the flu or a fever through the winter, then you know. Do you ever think about your nose or your sinuses until they don't work? No. So you miss school and you miss work and you miss life because you can't breathe. Would you agree we're never more aware of our bodies than when we are sick? Moving, guys. We have in this country 20,000 soldiers from Iraq who've been wounded in the last five years. Wounded in battle. What is unique about this, for the first time in our country, we have more limbless people than we could have ever imagined. People returning home from war where vests and helmets and triage treatment on the battlefield has changed and improved so much that the survival of war means you might lose a limb. 20,000 limbless 18, 20, 25-year-olds in our country. San Antonio is changing things to accommodate all these young adults coming home. A young adult coming home limbless. I would... Imagine they would agree. We are never more aware of our bodies than when we are wounded. Maybe it's also true. We're never more aware of our bodies than when they don't work for us, than when they fail us, than when our joints are are less than cooperative and our muscles get a mind of their own and, and our eyes and our ears forget that they're the gateway to communication. My, my parents and my in-laws are both now living in retirement communities. And if you ask my mother-in-law a few weeks into their stay in their new home how she's liking it, she would tell you after a few weeks that this place is pretty good because when you go to supper and sit at a table, none of them can hear either. <laughs> she likes not being the only one who can't hear. You, you're never more aware of your body than when it won't work for you. Which is what I believe is part of the conversation Paul is having in the letter to the Corinthian Christians, the second letter, Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians. And I believe it's one of the themes that he's addressing for they know that the body is weak and that the body deteriorates and that the body breaks down. And they've also accused Paul in his absence, some new teachers who've come to town, Maybe Paul's body is weak. Maybe Paul's body is also breaking down. Maybe that's why he's absent. He can't get back here because he is sick. And so when Paul writes the second letter, what we read is the second letter to the Corinthian Christians. I believe he's addressing some of those themes. The real physical body. Second Corinthians chapter five. We'll read 10 verses there. And don't worry. I see what time it is. We're okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning verse 1. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, this earthly body, we groan and we are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up with life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith 
not by sight. We are confident, I say, and I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him or her for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, 2 Corinthians is one of the choppiest pieces of Pauline literature, and he moves around in ways that don't seem to make sense. It's like a cut-and-paste conversation. Let me address a couple of things there. What, what is this about being unclothed and being naked? He says it twice. It is his way of referring to his soul without a body. He doesn't want to be caught without a body. He'd rather live this life and get to the next life where it's interesting. Paul is expecting another literal physical body. He'd rather go straight from this body to that body and, and not die first, not be found without a body. That's what it is, to be unclothed or naked. He, he'd like to go straight there. Could you agree? He, he doesn't want to be someplace in between. That's the language about being clothed or unclothed. It also is interesting that he finds some conversation, some interaction at the judgment time. He says, you'll sit with Christ. There'll be a conversation about your body, the good and the bad, what you've done to it. I take this to be less a conversation about removing salvation and more a conversation about understanding the salvation we've been given. I don't think it's a statement for fear. He also, however, um, a lot of metaphors for the body, this tent, this physical dwelling, earlier conversation, he's called it a clay jar or an earthen vessel. I would like to suggest to you that, that we read this passage and we perhaps think of reading more of Paul in, in not a metaphorical way, not a spiritual way, but in a, in a very literal way. I think he's talking about the real body, the mortal body, the body you have, the body I have with skin on it. This mortal body is in trouble. I don't think he's speaking in metaphors here. And he summarizes the problem in, verse, uh, in verses 2 and 4 together there. Here he uses the same language twice. Meanwhile, we groan. We groan. We are burdened in this tent, this body. We're burdened down. We cry out. We protest. We don't like it. We wish for something else. We groan because the text says we're being pulled down. That's what it is to be destroyed. And according to what Paul understands, an earthen vessel, a clay vessel, when it cracks, when it's pulled down, when it's weighed upon, when it's destroyed, it gets thrown away. And he knows all of that. And so all of this language, this disappointment about affliction is, is very real, I believe, for him. And the accusations to him that his body's not holding up either. And he's being pulled down also. That's real in this text. And I think it sits alongside Paul's confidence. Paul has this confidence. If you saw in the passage there, he said, we have been given a down payment. That is a business transaction. It's a term for commerce. It's you've been paid. You've been given a deposit. Something's taken place. It's a guarantee that something more is to come. And the text said, we've been given the Holy Spirit as a down payment that we are being swallowed up in life. Sets next to each other for Paul. My body is weak and being destroyed. Ah, but I've been swallowed up in life. I have a down payment towards that. And that's the tension in Paul's letter. It is in a lot of Paul's writings. For us today, 
for Christ followers, it means something specific. For in the world, out in the world, and we can even say in the medical community and in the health communities, we will hear language when we're talking about our bodies and taking care of them. We hear language like preventative health and preventative nutrition and lifestyle choices and wellness programs. And when the world sells those kinds of programs, they mean if you would do these things, your body will last a little longer. Your earthen vessel will take you a few more miles, a little honey on the outside of the car get you some mileage maybe the world sells these programs and they're right if we care for our bodies our bodies will last longer most of the time right we will get a little more mileage we do know there's longevity but for christians the conversation is deeper Paul is telling us something else is happening. It isn't just a nice little health improvement plan. 2 Corinthians 4.10, Paul says it this way, Christians, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. That is our physical mortal body, your body with skin on it, my body. I carry around something with it. If I'm a Christ follower, then I carry the dying and the resurrected body of Jesus with me. That's what the world sees. It can be called embodied living, to be embodying the divine, to be embodying the God story, to be embodying the Christ story, to be embodying the salvation story. For you and I, this is what we do, and it's the foundation, really, of all wellness conversation, of all health conversation. We take care of these mortal bodies because with these mortal bodies, we embody the God story. So it matters just like you to notice a couple of things in the passage. Would you look at the pronoun there? We. 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 Over and over again. Fifteen times we see the pronoun we in these verses. There is never an I out of Paul's mouth. It is always we. It wouldn't make sense to Paul and his community there. And by the way, it wouldn't make sense for centuries that we would be an I, that I would take care of my body and you would take care of yours and I worry about my health and you make sure your body's working for you. That wouldn't make sense to Paul and those first Christians. For them, we are in this together. We have a body. Do you see? When we are healthy, we are really healthy. There is an interconnectedness in the conversation that that they can't avoid that wouldn't make sense any other way. So I care if you're healthy and, and you care if I'm healthy because we are in this together. As I walk in the door of the church this morning and as you do the same, our health matters to each other, to one another, because we are the embodied living of, of Christ. We're not on our own here. We are in it together. If the body is not healthy, by the way, we are also in that together. If you walk in with a diagnosis today or next week or the following week, like sometimes we announce, the whole body is wounded just a little more because we are in it together. We are sick. Do you see? When you are sick, I am also sick. So it matters if 
how we would approach this, that I'm not just out for my own health, that you're not just out for your own health, that we understand the body of Christ is really all of us together. I believe from the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, we've been trapped in an illness story. We are wounded. Ours is a story of disease, and it has to be that way since Genesis chapter 3. But it matters how we think about that process. And it matters if we think we are in it with other people and we're not alone. In academy, high school, I think 10th grade, I went to a basketball game. And I confess to you that my favorite food in the whole world is hot dogs. And because I was raised vegetarian, that meant a vegetarian hot dog. And I know for the carnivores, that doesn't even register in your world. That's just rubber. But I like them all, and I like Big Frank's the best. And is that good? Well, we are in this together then. Just give me a Big Frank, and I'm happy. So I'm at the Coliseum in Portland with my good friends watching my favorite basketball team, and someone goes to the concession stand to get snacks and brings snacks for everyone. Someone puts a hot dog in my hand. And life is now perfect My favorite people, my favorite team, my favorite food. And I took a big bite. I didn't tell you, say I was smart now as a 15-year-old. I don't know what possessed me that I think the Coliseum sells Big Franks. (laughs) It never crossed my mind that it would be anything other than a Big Frank. And I took a bite, and it's when my friends began to laugh and bust a gut the other side that I realized we were not in this together. They were in on something, and I realized this is not a big Frank, and goodness, this is the best hot dog I've ever had. (laughs) It's true. Probably wasn't even beef people. I don't think about it because it was so good. First, last hot dog I ever had. It matters if we are in on something together that we can trust each other. It matters if you bring your wounded body in here that you know there's someone here who wants to hear your story. It matters that you can look to the left and the right and realize there's other wounded stories, other illness stories sitting right beside you. It matters if you're going to bring a friend to the CHIP program that you know they're not going to evangelize them to death. No one's going to be signed up for a Bible study. They don't become your food police over there. This is not salvation by vegetarianism. And we have to be able to trust each other that that's the case. We are in this together, like it or not. Now, when we are in it together, some wonderful things can happen. The the young adults were busy for six weeks in November and December. For six weeks, they held their own Biggest Loser contest. And, and they decided to challenge one another. And everyone who enrolled, nine of them, all lost weights anywhere between 3 and 26 pounds during those six weeks. They lost 10 and 11% of their body weight. The, the, the top three winners slash losers, the, the one who won the most, lost over 11% body weight during those six weeks. Isn't that great? We knew something was happening because Pastor Isaac wasn't eating snacks in staff meeting. I didn't know exactly what was happening. Now, he's not the loser. You're not the winner. You're, the, you're a loser. 
not the winner, but almost the winner. But something happens when they, as a group, realize we are in this together. Together, we could accomplish something. Together, we are in this, Paul says. We, as a congregation, are in this. And whether you enroll in the CHIP program or not, that you embody Christ, that embodied living becomes a way of life, we are all in on that together. Some questions we could think about during the weeks of CHIP, all of us could think about. It's the desert monks who suggested that if we look at what we eat, it would reveal a lot about our lives. And, and I've been wrestling with that this week. Uh, an author who said, and I challenge this, but I'm, I'm being convinced, some of the most important ethical questions we can ask ourselves as the body, the embodied body of Christ, is what do we eat? With whom do we eat? How do we eat? And think about the answers to some of those questions. What do we eat? Is it the kinds of things that build us up? Is it more than our share in America? Are we consuming what could be sent somewhere else? You you see how the ethics unfold out of these questions? With whom do we eat? What are the boundaries around your table? Who is welcome? Who is not? With whom do we eat? The table politics in Jesus' ministry, some of the most profound parts of the gospel. What do we eat? With whom do we eat? How do we eat? Those are good questions all of us as a body can reflect on during this month. And I'd like to just come back to this idea as we close of having an illness story. That we are in the process, and for the next three weeks, starting next Sabbath, we're starting a new conversation called Dying Well. We are in the process of dying, that we are caught up in an illness story, a story where we're all wounded. We don't like it. It's what we protest against, but it is our reality, Paul describes. It matters how I see that illness story, my perception of it, and how I shape it. It matters. One author this week I've read, Arthur Frank, who writes The Wounded Storyteller, says you can look at your story a couple of different ways. You can look at your illness story, and even if we walked in healthy this morning, we are all still wounded and ill. You could look at your illness story as a restitution storyline. That works like this. I was healthy. I am sick. I'm going to be well again. Which is what the Apostle Paul said. I am sick, but I can see the body already being prepared for me because I've been swallowed up by life. Or you can look at your story as a chaos story. I am sick. I have no idea what's going on. There is no plot line. I don't know where this is going. And that chaos story will consume you. If it's a chaos story, then we will just become a conversation about sick people. And how would we get well? And medication and doctor's appointments. And boy, do we wish things are different if it's a chaos story. If it's a restitution story, then it's a whole different conversation. Paul summarizes that also in Romans chapter 8. We groan, he says, because we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. We don't groan for no reason. Our eye is on something. It's a restitution illness story we're wrapped up in. 
if you walked in this morning and you're consumed with some kind of illness, physical, mental, even undiagnosed, some kind of addiction, even the kind we think Adventists don't get, I want to encourage you this morning to see your illness story not as chaos, but as restitution. And to look around and trust that you're in a we group who can take your hand and help you walk towards this other side. We are a diseased body, but do you know what? That is enough for our God. Amen.
right in the bag Run from lethargy fats and sugar sweets Stand up, toddle at the shoulders the church can say amen Amen. so now go would you with the uh, embodied body embodied spirit just like the spirit these children possess this morning in the name of jesus amen